Go ahead and be seated. We are finishing off. We are in week number three in the final week of our series called Close to Jesus. And we started off looking at being seated at the feet of Jesus. And then we talked about being seated at the table. And this third week is being seated in heavenly places, being seated with our heavenly Father. And I want to tell you something, that until you get to the point where you become a parent, there is a part of love that you just can't get. I mean, Scripture talks about like, that, that he's the perfect father and that he loves you like a father. And there's, there's part of that that I'm just sorry, until you're a parent, you don't really get. There's also, so there's a part of love that you don't have until you're a parent. There is an, also a part of anger that you don't have until you're a parent, right? Now, I'm not just talking about being angry at the kids. I'm talking about when someone does something that potentially could bring injury to your child. Now, I know I'm not the only one like this, but Tia will tell you for sure, the only times that she's really seen me like get angry where she was beginning to get a little bit worried when something almost happened to one of our kids. And I think that's a very natural time. I will justify my anger and say this is a very natural time to get angry. And, and, and it doesn't even have to be a person's fault. We were at the beach in North Carolina, and one of my kids got cut by a stingray. And once she was on the way to the urgent care to get stitched up and everything was okay, I'm like, okay, where's my keys? I need to go rent some scuba gear so, scuba gear so I can go find the stingray and stab it to death with its, with its own tail. Because no one is going to mess with my child. Like, no one is going to injure my child. And that may not be logical at all, but I'm just telling you, there's part of you that's like, I will protect my child. Part of the love that God pours into our hearts is, is this sense of protection, and I know that it grieves us when we see our kids hurting. And, and that, is, that is part of the character of God, his image that he's poured into us. We have this nature that says we should protect as part of our love. And just this little glimpse of love that I know that God has put inside of us that we re see reflected in our love for our children, I can only try to imagine the way that the Father felt in his heart as Jesus was led to the cross. And today is going to be an encouraging day. It's going, to, it's going to be a little bit of weight to this message, but I want to make sure that we grasp the reality of the importance of the cross. That this is a moment that, that it divides history, but it also divides people. And the moment where all of the sin, all of the weight of the world was laid upon Jesus in conjunction with the pain and the physical suffering that he went through on the cross, that moment is a crucial moment in history that you have to decide what you believe about it. And we're going to study Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43 today, and we'll project this on the screen. I'll be reading from the New Living, New Living Translation today. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, Luke 23, starting at verse 32. And it's describing this moment when Jesus was being hung on the cross. It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed, 
He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he, really, if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now Jesus' heart is on full display that even at the moment of pain and suffering, his response to those causing him pain is, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And his love is greater, it's bigger than anything that I can imagine. I mean, I can imagine him looking across at at the soldiers who were doing it, the crowd that was just watching, the, the religious leaders that were supposed to be leading people toward God, but they were trying to divide God's people from the Messiah, the disciples who would get it at one second and then the next not, and he just looked across the crowd, and rather than picking out and saying, well, you, I want to forgive, but you, no. No, he was offering forgiveness to all of them. And that, that was the heart of Jesus in this moment. But everyone had a different view. And this, is, this would be a whole different message as I was writing this. But man, it's easy at the, the foot of the cross to either be a watcher, a scoffer, or a believer. But only one of them will be an overcomer. And that's a whole different message. But there's a reality in that. That everyone there had to take a stand whether they realized they were taking it or not. And it's so familiar to today. So many people are just watchers of the faith. Close enough to know, close enough to repeat, but it's not internalized. There's scoffers who offer no true answer, but just attempt to ridicule those who are trying to progress forward. And then those who are the believers, those who trust in the middle of difficulty and pain and know that God is at work in the world. And the thing that, Really, the starting point as we get into this message, to, it, it echoes, the thought really echoes C.S. Lewis's quote, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing that it, it cannot be is moderately important. I'm going to give that to you one more time. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I'm telling you, the church in America has treated their relationship with God as moderately important. And it does not make any rational sense. And so I appeal to you today out of just logic Look at it through reason, and you will come to one of two conclusions rationally. Either this has to be the most important thing of how I live my life, or it has to mean nothing. It cannot just be in the middle. 
And we're going we're gonna to learn some, some lessons. We're going to learn that we have some things in common with the thieves. So we're going to look at the thieves and we're going to learn a few things about them. Because what we see is we see one on the left and one on the right. And both of them in some way are asking to be saved. Hey, go, if you really are the Messiah, then get yourself down off that cross and save yourself. And why don't you save us while you're at it, scoffing at him. And then the other one genuinely crying out and, and saying, I can see that, that you do not deserve this. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. Now, now their time, their time was short. You have this in common with the thieves. They were, they were at the doorstep of the end of the, their life, but I don't think that we fully grasp just how quickly life goes. And so I'm going to try to try to illustrate it. Now, I, I brought some sand with me today. All right. And what I want to illustrate to you is there's about 2,000 grains of sand in one-fourth of a teaspoon. Let's just say one grain that's stuck to my finger here is 100 years of time. So then two million years would be represented in one quarter of a teaspoon. But you know rationally, two million years does not even begin to communicate the length of eternity and the importance of eternity. Now if I had 192 quarter teaspoons and put two million years into one cup, you understand that with each grain representing 100 years, that this is still far too small to represent the importance of eternity. And if I, if I took 20 cups, or if I took 1,000 cups, or if I took every desert and beach throughout the world and had it, held it before you and said, each grain of sand is a hundred years. It would be impossible for you to understand, but you would know that you could multiply that by a thousand times and still not grasp the length of eternity. But what scripture tells us time and time again, that this this vapor of a life that we have that is like a morning mist, here one second and gone the next, the way that you live this life for God is what matters for all of eternity. And so your words, they matter. Your prayers, they matter. Your acts of service to people within our city and within the world, they matter. And the important thing for you to grasp is that your time to do this is short. The thieves on the cross, they, they understood, but I'm going to tell you, some people, they understand the brevity of their time, but they still will just scoff at the eternity that they're about to enter, but there will become a moment where it will become real to them, and they stand before the glory of God in fear. But I want to tell you, you are invited to stand before the glory of God in joy. And Jesus 
at the very end of two men's lives, he was more than willing to bring both of them into eternity, but the one that drove the other one away was his own scoffing, his own eternal heart. And I want to tell you, the first thing that we need to be thinking about today as we read this is that our time is short like a grain of sand in the beach. And then the next thing that I'd tell you to to learn from this situation is that your decision is not controlled by anyone else. There were religious leaders in the crowd that led people astray. But those religious leaders will be responsible for their own decisions and you'll be responsible for yours. There were watchers in the crowd who said nothing and did nothing. And they could have influenced people towards Jesus. But they're still responsible for their decisions and you're responsible for yours. And I want to tell you with a broken heart that I know so many people that have been hurt by a religious leader. And it's caused a divide in your faith and a reluctancy towards the things of God. And I want to tell you, healing is not found in hiding. And if you've been hurt in the past, I believe that even today, God is providing opportunities for you to receive healing for what has happened. But no matter what another religious leader, what a parent, what a significant person in your life has done, at the end of your life, you will be accountable to God. Not for what they said, not for how they acted, but for what you chose. And I know from studying the Father's heart, that time and time again, he's been knocking on the door of your life, saying there's healing available, there's community available, there's hope available. But we've let sometimes wounds just keep us from coming back to God. So come out of hiding if that's where you've been. Move into healing. Because the only person who's going to be responsible for your choice is you. The same way that it happened with the two thieves on the cross. In verse 39, it said, One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So many people, I think, kind of go through their life thinking, when I get to the end of my life, then I'm going to finally invite God in. Then I'll finally, with a whole heart, ask him for forgiveness. And I want to tell you, time and experience through generations, through thousands of years of pastors recording what their life and their ministry was like, we've seen time and time again that if you live your life separated from God, when you get to the end of it, your pride won't let you come back to him. He would take you back at the last moment. But no matter what mistakes that you've made, that as you hear today, as God pushes on your heart today and you feel a sense, I should come back, I should get the things figured out with God, then Jesus would say to you the same thing that he said to that thief on the cross, that today you will be with me. And I want to reaffirm to you from these gentlemen on the cross, the third thing, that your, your decisions about Jesus matter. They matter. They matter for how your future is going to go. They matter for how the people that you love will live their life. They matter for the neighbors that watch you. Your decisions about this, it matters for every part of this world that you touch, and it matters for all of eternity. And it's a decision that rests on your shoulders 
and your heart. And if we have been treating this decision as something that is moderately important, then we are not rationally looking at the truth of eternity. And so as your pastor, to know you, to love you, and to challenge you, I want to just grab you by both shoulders and say, see it clearly. (laughs) Like, come on. There is a reality here. There is an opportunity here. And it is passing us by faster and faster as we go. I know, I'm feeling the older that I get, the faster that these years go. And the more opportunities I will either seize or pass by to impact our world for God's kingdom. So see it clearly. Know that your decision about this matters. It's going to have implications across your world. And man, I'm just trying to fit two messages into one today. You're going to roll with me. There was the first three points. We're starting a brand new, fresh four ones. But, but there's some commonalities with these. But here's some important thieves theology for you today. The first thing that I want to reassure your mind of is that the thieves proves that good works are not required for salvation. And I say this because if, if I say this, that you know your decision matters for Christ and you're like on the edge, I want to move towards Jesus, but I just got to fix up some of my life first. I've got to wash my hands a little bit before I reach out to God. I want to tell you, God wants to reach out to you right where you are today. And theologically, look at it. The thief who was on the cross, he wasn't able to get down off the cross and be like, I just need to go do a few good things before I accept your invitation, Jesus. I'm going to go back to Publix, and I'm actually going to put my cart in the little corral so it doesn't ding up other people's cars. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go buy someone lunch today. Like I'm going to go, and I'm going to serve and be a greeter at church a few times, and once I've done a few good things, then I'm going to come back to you. That's not how it works. You don't clean yourself from the outside in. You let God have a hold of your whole heart, and he begins to transform everything from the inside out. We're not, put, we're not going and duct taping apples to trees and calling them an apple tree. We understand that fruit grows from the inside out. And, and, and we laugh at it, but it's such the truth. We know people, we try to put these things on. Let it happen in the real way. Come to God in a real way with your real heart, exactly where you are with your struggles, with your addictions, with your brokenness, and let Jesus begin to work in your heart. He wants you just as you are. And so good works, they're not required for salvation. They grow out of our life because of salvation. But we don't earn it. We're saved by by grace through faith, not by works, so that none should boast. The next thing that we see is that the thief proves that salvation is instantaneous. What is the speed of an instant? I mean, like salvation, it's not something that you earn up later, but it's like at that moment where you believe you are brought into, you are adopted into God's family. And how could it happen so fast? How could it happen so fast? Let me tell you why God receives you instantaneously. Because when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they chose to eat of the fruit, God already loved you then. He he already had you on his mind. That when Abraham was walking up the hill with Isaac, believing that he would have to sacrifice his own son, but God provided another way. There was a ram with with its horn caught in, in in almost a crown of thorns. God was already loving you and thinking of you. 
When God led the Israelites out of Egypt and he parted the Red Sea with Moses leading the way, God was already in love with you then. That, That when God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah, when God was speaking through Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, God already loved you then. That when Jesus was walking on water, Long before your days, God already loved you. So when you get to that instant where you feel like the things of God are so brand new to me, I can't possibly expect God to love me yet. God had already been loving you for generations. And so it's, it's easy for him to say, yes, I have been waiting on you. When, when I was knitting you together in your mother's womb, I already knew you. Before a single one of your days came to be. Before a single word left your lips, God already knew you and loved you. And so the moment that you repent, the moment that you cry out to Jesus is a moment that he's been waiting on for generations. He's been knocking at the door of your life, just waiting for you to answer. And so salvation, it's instantaneous. It's not earned after salvation. It's not like you receive it and then you have to do something to keep it. That moment where you genuinely believe you are genuinely made a new creation that cannot be snatched from your father's hand. You are saved in an instant. The third thing is that the thief proves that God loves lost people. God isn't just looking for church people. He is not just looking for your suit and your tie and your shiny shoes. He is not looking for the uppity attitude. God loves lost people. But don't ever get it twisted to think that God is in in the business of transforming lives because never did Jesus have an interaction with a person who was steeped in sin where he told them it's just okay to stay there. He always pointed them towards transformation and wholeness. But the heartbeat of our church has been and will always be Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Because this is the heartbeat of God lived out in the person of Jesus. He looked at that cross and all, he looked at that thief that was on the cross beside him and all that he needed to see was a willingness to say yes. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The fourth thing is, The thief proves that there is a place in heaven for you. (laughs) You know, going to that day where Jesus was with the thieves between the two, there's one on the left, there's one on the right. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we know that Jesus' promises are always true. I mean, can you just imagine? I mean, we don't see too much of this in scripture, but you have to kind of put the pieces together. That moment where Jesus has been gone on earth and he experienced the crucifixion, he was in the grave, he rose again, and then he returns to heaven triumphantly. And there's gotta be celebration in heaven, but alongside behind Jesus comes walking this thief. And and he's kind of like, I don't know, like if you've ever felt somewhere completely out of place, I'd imagine that might be how you're feeling as you enter the gates of heaven, you know, living your life away from God in the very last minute, meeting Jesus on the cross and just being like, what's up, guys? I made it in. I bet you didn't expect to see me here, but here I am. Like Jesus walking in triumphant and glorious, bringing a thief with him amongst the, the angelic beings singing before God on the streets of gold in heaven itself. 
I mean, can you imagine the scene? And if a person like that, that their whole life behind them was all kinds of messed up, if that person can be brought into heaven, I want to tell you, no matter what has been in your history, you're invited as well. And I believe that there's really kind of two camps of this. There's those in the room that they've heard this and they've known it and they've experienced it. And so just even in this moment, they're praying, I hope someone else will find the same joy that has changed my life. And there's those in the room that I remember the feeling that it's just like, I know Jesus died on the cross, but it's never been internal to me. And I know that when you're in that camp where it's like, I don't know that this has really been part of who I am. I know there's all of these hesitations that say, just, just slow down. Just don't take this step yet. Just don't engage in this yet. There's all of these delay tactics that come into our mind to tell us that we would just be okay staying with the status quo that's felt destructive, that's felt lonely, that has felt unfulfilled. And I want to tell you, that if you're here today and God is beginning to just press on your heart about getting things absolutely right with him, with no fear, just take this step today. Because in perfect love, there is no fear. And God, he loves you perfectly. Band, if you guys will come out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this thing up. You know, just in the same way, that when Jesus was on the cross, there was a thief on the left and there was one on the right. And there was one who scoffed. There's one who believed. In Matthew 25, we see what the beginning of eternity is going to look like. In verse 31, and it describes this moment. And it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put his sheep on his right side and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You will end up to the right or the left. There is no middle ground. And so we have to stop living out our faith as though we exist in some middle ground because there is only the left to the right. And I believe that God calls out to you. I believe that he implores you. I believe that he has given the greatest act of love that the earth has ever seen and that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life in our life it's like a grain of sand and all of eternity will be different based on what you choose so in response to your father's love in response to the way that maybe just now you're seeing how he's been knocking on the door of your life, knocking on the door of your life, knocking on the door of your life, time after time again. And it's only appropriate to cry out to him the same way that the thief did. He says, I know 
I know there's something different about you, Jesus. I know that you're Lord and Savior. But you guys just stand with us as we pray and, and just bow your heads and, and be in prayer in this moment. And I want to encourage you that if you're here today and you just have a sense, I need to get myself right with God. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, but I want to be able to pray specifically for you. Would you just raise your hand for just a moment if today you say, I need to get my heart right with God today. I need to put things in order. I need to become someone who walks closely with Jesus. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Thank you. I see you. That's great. I see you on the right. Let's pray for them. Father, we know that when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that you cause us to be new creations, that the pain of the past, you wipe it away. That the mistakes that other people have forced into our life and the pain that they brought in, you provide healing. And so, Father, we trust in you. Jesus, we trust in you. And we know that at this instant right now, you are causing people to be a new creation. That at this instant, you have been loving them through all of their life, but now that love is being made and felt to be real and a new depth. So, Father, surround them. Cause spiritual fruit to grow out of them. Give them the joy and the peace that is only found in you. And so, Father, we give you all of our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.